Welcome everyone to a new episode of Esports Boom, your weekly esports business podcast. My name is Maurice Eisenman and I'm as always joined by Anton Ferraro. Anton, how are you? It's good, man. I think we took a week off last week. You were traveling, I was traveling. Uh, how was your Dallas trip? It was great. Um, you know, like Dallas, the food is incredible. It's, it's, it's warm. It, it was really what I needed. And like I said to you before the recording, I ate so much food that if I would have stayed for two more days, they would have had to roll me back to New York. Well, I'm glad that you made it back so that we can film another episode of this show. How was the uh, how was how was Vegas and how was the Madden Challenge? Oh, Vegas was incredible. So I was out there to um, shoot a program called Beyond the Sticks, and then we dovetailed that into the Madden Challenger event. We I met a lot of the Madden players, got to learn a little bit more about that community, um, and then in the meantime, the first episode of Beyond the Sticks uh, came out on the Mixer uh, channel. So, you know, it's been a really eventful weekend. Um, it was great to film. It was great to be on site. The event was a smashing success. Um, and uh, I think if you follow me on social media, you probably saw some of the pictures. But, you know, it was good. You know, I, I think the one similarity your trip and mine had was that, you know, we ate a lot. And I yeah. think we probably ate a lot of cows. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. All right. So let's jump right into it. Um, you know, it's been two weeks, so I think we're going to try and hit the biggest uh, stories of the last two weeks. And the one that I think caught the most attention was NRG getting their $15 million investment. And I know you've been tracking the story. So what are your thoughts on it? Well, let's just get some of the facts straight first. So as far as from what the articles have, have given us for information, so it's a Series B. Um, obviously, the first, the Series A had, and, and the C that people like Andy Miller and, and Shaq was involved. So the Series B had a round that included kind of a mixture of two types of categories of people. So on one hand, you had these celebrities, um, people like Jennifer Lopez, Marshawn Lynch, uh, A-Rod and Michael Strain all invested in the company. And then secondly, you had more of the traditional tech investors, um, people like Twitter COO, like a Twitter CRO and former NFL chief financial officer, Anthony Noto, Sacramento Kings minority owner and Sacramento Republic owner, Kevin Nagel, and Fortress Investment Group chairman, Peter Breiger. What's interesting about the latter category is that they're all from the Bay. Um, so, you know, the, the first group of investors, they'll bring great social capital to NRG. Uh, one of the, the problems with the NRG has is that they're not as popular as some of the other teams. They don't have this, the social reach. Hopefully, these celebrities can help with that. Um, we've already seen their 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 kind of their Overwatch introductory video had J Lo in there, had Marshawn in there, so that was really awesome. Um, I, I doubt they'll bring a lot of intellectual capital, um, but then again, you have the second group of investors, uh, you know, CEO of of Twitter and 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 and. and Fortress Investment Group chairmen. Those are people that can bring kind of the intellectual capital that you need from a strategic perspective. Yeah, so I think that there's a couple things that jump out. Like uh, I'm going to go through the list of names and then just tell you all my little anecdotes about everybody. So for those of you not keeping up with the tabloids, Alex Rodriguez and Jennifer Lopez are in a massive relationship right now. So it's interesting that he brought her up. A-Rod is also, I think he's the only repeat investor because I think... Um, he was initially listed as the ener- is one of the energy investors in their yes. first announcement. And out of all the other names, you know, he's the only one who's repeating. So it seems like, you know, Shaq and company, they went out and they got um, a bunch of new people to invest so that they could diversify their risk. Uh, props to A-Rod for c- going in for two. 
Uh, Michael Strahan, so he was a football player. I think the interesting story there is that he's investing in eSports and he sold his house to Dustin Beck about a year ago. So Dustin Beck is living in Michael Strahan's old house. So I think, you know, through that connection, maybe he's a little bit aware of eSports. You know, some guy comes around, buys your house for, you know, $10 million more million than you paid for it. And you're like, well, I wonder how he made his money. So then you go in and, you know, you, you find your own piece of that pie. Um, Anthony Noto. So he is this chief operating uh, officer of Twitter and the former NFL chief financial officer. What's really interesting about him is about two years ago, he got Twitter like the most ridiculous NFL deal ever. I think mm-hmm. they were streaming um, Thursday night games or Monday night games. They were, they were streaming the Thursday night games. So the he games got that Amazon now has. Right. And he got those games. He got 10 games for $10 million, which is unreal. Like if you think about how much the NFL rights go for, you know, it's pretty crazy. And I know Twitter right now is, you know, they're also pushing into live content. You know, they're trying to secure things. He's trying to understand how these teams work. He understands that it's the future. So, you know, getting him on board is incredible. You know, esports lives on Twitter. Um, So having him, you know, be a cheerleader for the vertical is incredible. Um, And then Fortress Investment Group, uh, Maurice, I don't know if you know this, but is this the same Fortress that owns uh, the Bucks, or is this a totally different and just a small coincidence? I don't, I do not know. I don't think so because I probably would have seen that in the in in the articles that I that I uh, read about. So yeah, I mean, uh, I'll we'll have to double check on whether or not Peter Berger is involved with um, what is it? FlyQuest is the Fortress investment team. Yeah, but that's team. with Edens, right? Yeah, West Edens. Yeah. So, I mean, good raise for energy. Um, you know, I'm, I talk to Brett, their president, pretty regularly. Um, Brett, you know, he comes from WMEIMG. He kind of, you know, cheerleaded the WMEIMG's efforts into esports. You know, he's very capable. Um, I think another person that he got involved into esports was John from T-Mobile. It's the CEO, mm-hmm. um, CEO of T-Mobile. They have their own news that we'll cover in a second. Um, but again, it's like, you know, it's people who can attract the right partners, who can guide these teams and who have the right experience. You know, I really, the one statement that I would disagree is that where you said like, oh, you know, um, JLo and A-Rod, you know, they don't bring intellectual capital. Okay. Probably not with strategy, but these guys, you know, they've been around in entertainment for 30 years and it's kind of like, they've probably taken their beatings. They've probably learned some valuable lessons and, you know, um, I don't mind that somebody with that their amount of experience is out there guiding, you know, our fledgling little industry. I think there's value that's that they bring. That's, there's, there's definitely a value besides just the social capital and the financial capital. Um, also, what is really interesting is that they went for a multitude of investors as opposed to a couple big investors. Yes. Um, that is always interesting. Um, that could be because these investors just didn't want to put down the, down the money. Yeah, it feels similar to what happened with like Jay-Z and the Barclays Center a couple of years mm-hmm. ago, where, you know, when they moved the Brooklyn Nets, they basically gave Jay-Z, you know, a tiny, tiny percentage. It was something like less than 1%. But then every piece of marketing that you saw for the Brooklyn Nets was, you know, hello, Brooklyn, you know, every single one of his songs, you know, Brooklyn's favorite son brings a team to Brooklyn. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I, I, they probably gave these guys... I'd imagine that the strategic guys were the ones who did the heavy investing. And I feel that these guys are a little bit like, you know, to your point, you know, social cheerleaders, but they do bring additional value. Yeah. And also I, it's completely understandable traditional sports players and entertainers want to get into esports because 
A lot of them have made billions of dollars for their respective teams. I mean, A-Rod has made a tremendous amount of money, but he has made arguably more money for the teams that he played for. And he has seen he's all of these, you know, you, you constantly hear these uh, traditional sports players complaining about how they make all this money, yet the owners, all of a sudden, their sports teams are go from a couple hundred million dollars to being worth billions of dollars. Yeah. So a lot of them are thinking ahead and they're thinking, if I can take the risk with esports and if esports becomes as big as baseball or whatever what any other sport then i will i will take that role and like i can i can be the person that i've that i've wanted to be. absolutely anytime you have that many type a personalities their one question in their head is how do i get higher up on the food chain for nrg i'm just hoping that a-rod and j-lo don't break up oh because i can't gosh, imagine yeah. that being uh, being too good for the team no i'm sure that uh, that's you know not it's a lot of tension that people don't want um so I think, you know, so NRG raised 15 million, and I think it's a nice segue into um, our next story, which is Cloud9 raising 19 million of a $25 million round. And I think that puts their company, uh, their team at a valuation of about $100 million. Yes. Um, you know, what are your thoughts? Well, I, I, I think it's pretty interesting. This hasn't been confirmed yet as opposed to NRG. Um, the federal documents have been looked into, and, and that, that does give confirmation, but it hasn't been confirmation from Cloud9's perspective. Um, definitely a different type of investment than NRG. Um, we're seeing uh, Fund Plus CEO uh, Andy Zhang and Brian Singer on a Founders Fund. Um, Fund Plus, I think, was already one of the investors in the seed, in the seed fund. Uh, they, both of them are appointed to the board of directors. So it's that's really, I guess, a traditional kind of venture capital. Like you know, they they either run the round or they invest money into it. And now they're going to help with the strategic vision and help grow. So it's a lot more traditional than NRG. Um, but breaking the hundred million barrier was something I did not expect to see for for a year or two. Um, so I think that's that's incredible and, and props to Cloud9 for being able to do that. Yeah, I mean, I think it's a really high valuation. Um, I think that, you know, for those of you that don't know, Jack Antonat, I might be butchering his name, um, he, prior to starting eSport, uh, his, e his own eSports team, you know, he did a little work for TSM, but he was an incredible salesperson for Crunchyroll. Mm -hmm. And at Crunchyroll, you know, Every year he would get a higher and higher, uh, you know, commission rate just because he was so effective. And he kept trying to leave Crunchyroll in order to basically, you know, start his own shop. And they kept trying to lure him back, lure him back with more and more financial benefits. And if you look at Cloud9, you know, he positioned them in such a way where you have WMEIMG and Twitch both uh, acting as their sales, uh, sales agents. So he created this the situation where these two organizations, on some level, you know, they work hand in hand to find sponsorships for these teams, but on some level, they're also competing. And you know, the um, just the incentivization structure of that, you know, it, it speaks to his, you know, acumen as a salesperson and knowing what's best for his team. Um, so you know, Cloud Nine, Jack, you know, they find talent, they develop talent. You know, even a couple of years ago, before all this VC money came in, he had a great business model of developing academy teams and then selling them off. And, you know, the fact that he was able to just, you know, uh, create such a competitive team through that funding channel, you know, if somebody is going to, you know, stay on top of how you make esports relevant and if somebody's going to get, you know, that $100 million valuation, I think that the, you know, those are the right teams. I think that Cloud9 
TSM, Optic, and FaZe are the four teams that you know are in that world right now. Absolutely, I think um, I think an investment in NRG, and and that's not a this is not a diss to them, because they're they're the other four teams like you mentioned are exceptions. But an investment in NRG, I think, is more an investment in the industry as a whole. Yeah. They have an Overwatch League spot. They're applying for an LCS spot. If the Overwatch League does well, this investment will pay off. They're yeah. franchising. I think an investment in Cloud Nine is not only an investment in the industry. But at the same time, is also an investment in Jack, yes. in the founders. Yep, absolutely. And you know, you know, it's the worst kept secret, but it's uh, Cloud Nine and you know TSM are basically one team, and they're just you know, they work hand in hand, and there's a lot of synergy with Team Liquid, and you know, uh, it's nice that you're investing in a team that you know has support from you know other organizations. I think I forget who's who's all part of that you know like little cabal, but it's you know. Cloud9, TSM, Immortals, Team Liquid, and I think Echo Fox is the one that's a little bit on the outside, just because Rick Fox, you know, he, he's trying to do his own thing. You know, he didn't join PEA. Um, there's a couple of, you know, he's a little bit on the outside. Um, but again, he's also doing great things. You know, no, no complaints with the way Rick has been doing, uh, operating his team. Uh, I think he just wants to, you know, uh, keep it separate. Um, so I see the, uh, the next article that you wanted to cover, or do, or do you want to, do you have any other thoughts? No, 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 go ahead. Yeah. So the next article that uh, Mo selected was that Splice enters a partnership with Lagardere? Lagardere Sports. Lagardere. So I'm not from Europe, so I'll defer to your judgment on this one. Yeah, so this is really interesting. So um, Lagardere Sports um, is kind of a consultant sponsorship. Think of think them like kind of a WME, ING, what they're doing in sports at least, right? So there it is. there it is huge consultancy management marketing company um, in Fr- out of France uh, and they work with pretty much everyone in sports they are they're incredibly big in, in soccer uh, but recently they've been getting into eSports um, they have partnership with two teams uh, ninjas in pajamas is one of them uh, the other one I'm blanking out right now but they just uh, announced a deal with splice so um, this is interesting because the collaboration will s- will focus mainly on sales uh, for for Splice and it will focus primarily on Asia and Europe, which makes sense because in America, Lagardere's arm is not as big, uh, reach is not as big, and also they have they already have their venture partners in, in America. So I think this is really good for the industry um, because Lagardier can easily make these connections and, and they have been very successful in Asia and Europe and specifically. So this is really good, um, especially if Splice will not make it into the LCS and will have to go to the EU LCS, this even makes even more sense. Yeah, and I mean, I think the one story that kind of stands out to me is that you had one of Splice's, I think, general managers who, you know, Resigned. Everybody was happy. It wasn't. There's no drama. But it was his main reason was that he didn't want to move to the U.S. So it'll be interesting if Splice ends up in Europe, and this feels like you know a good like you know hedge bet in order to make sure that they have those revenue streams out there. Um, I think it's a little. I mean, Asia is a huge market. It's a growing market. I think it's a little strange that they're focusing on it, just because I don't know if you know, Splice is suited to be the face, the face of esports on that continent. I don't think, yeah, I, I think it's more about getting, getting sponsorship. I think Europe, they, they do have a lot of potential. 
Asia, they have a really, really good StarCraft player. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's StarCraft. I mean, I still, know. What, I year, know. what year is this? I what know. year is this? But still, you, you're, you're, you can, if you place your bets well, you get some minor sponsorship. Um, and I, like, like, I think it's a bet. Yeah. Um, because if they end up in, in America, I mean, Ligardier has their, they have a, a huge office in, in, in Midtown as well. They, they, they will be able to get clients. But especially if they end up in Europe, um, they'll have the, the best sales representation for them there. Yep. Now, a good move, you know, people are trying to monetize. It's exactly what uh, everything should, uh, you know, you got to pay back all this VC money or you're going to flounder. And, you know, these are the companies that are going to help you do it. Yeah, and talking about sponsorship deals and, and sales representation, um, one of the I think the, the one of the biggest sponsorship deals, and there are two really there are three really big ones this this week. But the, the first one we're going to talk about is that the fact that Riot partnered up with T-Mobile for Worlds 2017. So WMIG brokered this deal, um, and it's um, they'll be presenting uh, they'll be presenting sponsor. Uh, for Worlds 2017, which is happening right now. And they will have a periodic segment called the Best of the Rift. Um, so they will, you know, sell. it's like a short segment every week um, that is like who, who's the, who, who was the best player or like the, the best moves being made and highlights, highlight these players presented by T-Mobile. Um, I've said it once and I'll say it again. Um, telecom and internet providers, they have to be on the forefront of esports. It it makes so much sense. Korea has been doing it for ages. Um, it's about time that um, T-Mobile gets more and more aggressive. They are out of the the big American ones, even though T-Mobile is a European company. But um, they are one of they're they're the 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 most on esports. I think that will pay up in the long term. Um, what do you think, Anton? So I think I've seen T-Mobile spread their money around in a bunch of different places. I saw them go to. Overwatch League that was I think a week ago. I saw that they're now with TSM on Cloud9, which you know are great are two great teams. Um, and now that they're you know in LCS, that's excellent. I think Riot historically has always been very um, you know they they didn't go out and try and get a ton of sponsors. I know there was a lot of sponsorship interest in, in uh, you know in the LCS World Championships. You know with all these numbers coming out like oh it's the size of like the NBA Finals. It's not, but um, they generally only pick one kind of to maintain value. So the fact that T-Mobile got it is pretty great. Um, I think WMEIMG is going to have a lot of excellent information based on, you know, oh, you know, with this game versus that game, this team versus this league. Um, I'm curious to know how much the money is. So how much money like this deal costs? Because from what I've heard, there haven't been that many sponsorship deals in the seven-figure range. Everything has kind of been in the six-figure range. And I know for Riot, you know, what they spent on production for putting on Worlds, it's probably like, I mean, easily over $10 million. Mm-hmm. Um, that this is a drop in the bucket. I think the other thing that was touted a while ago was that, you know, BamTech was going to be selling sponsorship rights for, you know, the Riot broadcast. You know, Worlds has basically, st- Worlds has started, and we still haven't seen the BamTech product. And, you know, they were part of their deal was that, you know, they were going to get um, the rights to sell these sponsorships. So their absence from this headline, you know, it's interesting. Um, you know, I, I really, you know, Bamtech's building a tech product. Esports is going to succeed through tech and disruptive products. And I am a little upset to not see them being involved as much as I thought that they would be. Yeah, well, I think 
uh, the the big story a couple of weeks ago was the fact that Bamtech is incredible. Bamtech is incredibly behind with their scheduling. So I think they first want to focus on getting the tech right, which is the main reason why they were hired in the first place, or why they, why this deal was made in the first place. And if that's successful and they have a distri- distribution strategy, then they can go and sell these these uh, distribution rights. They can sell sponsorship rights on top of that. Uh, but if the tech isn't ready, um, you're trying to run before you can walk. No, I mean, yeah, it, it feels like, you know, it's one of those Fibonacci sequence project management problems where, you know, uh, your one little problem in step one is, you know, creating two little problems in step two. And, you know, if, if they don't, you know, pick up their momentum, it's, you know, two problems is going to turn into three, three problems is going to turn into five, five problems is going to turn into eight. And, um, you know, I... You know, great for Ride. You got a sponsorship. I don't think it was that hard for you. I think that you have people probably knocking at your door. Um, great for WMEIMG. You know, great vertical. Um, the loser in this situation, I think, is Bamtech. Yeah, and I, to your points about Riot being hesitant for sponsors, um, give it two years, they won't be. Because with the, with the NALCS franchising, with the EULCS expanding like that, um, the, and there are going to be a lot more teams. These teams will want to get sponsors themselves, but Riot will need to have more sponsors, sponsors as well because this is, they're they're making a, they're giving out a clear signal that um, League of Legends esports is going to be a money maker. It's not just going to be a marketing tool. Yeah. So they will need to attract more and more sponsors. No, absolutely. Yeah, it's like you know what they're they're trying to create the uh, the visibility of exclusivity, right? You know. Mm-hmm. Uh, the number one rule of sales is that when you sell something, make sure that people come back and buy it again. And so, you know, not going out and just grabbing all this money this year. So, you know, it's a smart and calculated decision. Um, then we had a couple of other sponsorship stories. Um, the one that I just didn't see was that there was a, God, what was it? it? Was Astralis got the Coco sponsorship? Yeah. And the only reason why I just wanted to touch on that is because the headline was that it was a seven-figure deal, and everything that I heard was that. It was um, every other deal has been six figures. So, you know, I'd love to be, you know, flying the wall and see what the contract looked like and whether or not, you know, there's clawback provisions or whatnot. But, you know, props to Australis. I think this week they got Coco. Last week they got the Jack and uh, Jones. Jack and Jones. Um, you know, I think Astralis is owned by Refresh, right? Yeah. yeah. So, you know, the Refresh management team, you know, they're out there, they're killing it. Well, you know, and, a, them. and a while ago, this is actually their, their second seven figure deal. Because it was reported, at least in the Daily Mail, I don't know how, how valid that source is, that they, their, their deal with Turtle Beach previously was also in the seven figures. I don't think Turtle Beach has that type of money. I mean, I, the, the way that the Turtle Beach, deal with, Turtle Beach deals generally work is that it's, you know, a percentage of units sold. Yeah. So, um, you know, yeah, if they sell those headphones, great. But if they don't sell those headphones, you know, I don't feel like it's... You, it's they probably just put a ceiling on it as opposed to like you know oh here's a cash payment of you know a million dollars so then the 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 last type of sponsorship that that um i think we're going to talk about is um coca-cola's deal which is really fascinating and it, it's not necessarily esports sp- specific it's more gaming in general but um fifa 18 has uh well fifa 17 started it um, they have a story mode, which, uh, which all of the traditional sports games now have, especially the ones from EA, uh, where you play as Alex Hunter, the, this young kid from England, and you basically, you know, you become a superstar. And, and, and the story mode stopped kind of in his um, early 20s. You know, he just made a big break for a couple seasons. And then 
this story mode for FIFA 18, he's becoming even bigger. He can go to, like, I think Bayern Munich is one of their partners. They have a couple partner teams. Um, actually, today, this morning, there'll be a, a Times Square ad with uh, Alex Hunter. Um, and Coca-Cola is actually the sponsor for... Uh, it becomes Alex Hunter's first, like, sponsor, like, main brand sponsor in the game. So Alex Hunter, though, is a fictional character. Yes, he's a virtual player in the story mode of FIFA 18. See, the machine's already taking over. They're just pushing out the players. <laughs> exactly. Elon Musk is right. No, I mean, I, great move by Coca-Cola. I think that, like, one of the interesting aspects of this deal, and, you know, I hope I'm not going to get in trouble for saying this too soon, is that it's such a safe bet because it's like, you know, every decision that Alex Hunter makes in the game or, like, you know, probably whatever happens, you know, Coca-Cola is going to have visibility on. That eliminates a lot of risk. So it's like, you know, imagine if you were... Um, you know, sponsoring that player from the Bears-Packers game last night where, you know, he headbutted a guy and sent somebody to the ER. It's like, imagine if, like, you know, oh, we sponsor R Ronaldo or who's... Yeah, Ronaldo, right? That's yeah. the yeah. And, you know, Ronaldo headbutts somebody. Like, you know, that's such a negative well, possibility. Yes, yes, but I, the thing I like about this is that they... Um, it is actually like it's a way to it's the perfect native advertising because this 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 makes sense if you're Alex yeah. Hunter you as a player like if you're playing the game you want Alex to get a sponsorship deal because that'll bring in more money for you and that yeah. allows you to do more things and it happens to be Coca-Cola that's awesome and it's not kind of pushed into you I actually think I I, I remember from the FIFA 18 came out this week so FIFA 17 I remember that you could you could screw up without so I don't I'm not sure if he's going to get a sponsorship deals in in all the yeah. kind of storylines and he might be able to lose a sponsorship deal um, but they actually they they filmed a a fake commercial which is the which is um kind of a spoof of the um, of the old uh, David Beckham commercial with Pepsi yeah um, and they actually created kind of the Coca-Cola version of it with Alex Hunter which is brilliant because every soccer fan will appreciate it and um, and it shows once again that investments and, and sponsorship in gaming goes further than just esports teams and esports leagues. It goes into the actual game as well now. No, I mean incredible. Uh, you know, great move. I want to go to the next story, which is the ten cent buys five percent of Blue Hole, which is the PUBG studio. Now, not necessarily esports, but PUBG is so big right now, and there's a lot of esports buzz around it, and they have an esports department that I felt like it was. Uh, important to cover. I'm going to start this story maybe a couple of weeks back and then, you know, move forward as, you know, things have progressed. Because um, for me, this is, this is so interesting just because this is how business gets done now. Um, about four weeks ago, there was a rumor that Tencent had uh, purchased 15% of Bluehole. Um, you know, it was circling for about a day or two and then Bluehole came out and said, no, Tencent owns no percentage of this company. Uh, you know, get away from us, you know, that we're not involved with them. Um, then there was a rumor that Tencent bought out some previous investors. It was really unclear what was going on. Fast forward to last week, and Epic Games releases uh, a mode for their game called Fortnite that is identical to Pub Battlegrounds for all intents and purposes. Um, it gets a lot of hype, a lot of traction. Um, you know, there's... Uh, Blue Hole goes out, I think they make a statement, you know, they're upset for whatever, for a, a litany of reasons. And then, you know, a week later, um, Tencent now owns 5% of Blue Hole. 
And I think what this illustrates is, you know, how business works when you are a, a new and rising star facing off against a larger company. Um, you know, Tencent basically put their cards on the table and said, you will either sell for X or we will spend 10X uh, and develop a game that is identical to yours. And, you know, they have Epic Games, they have Riot, they have all these other, these assets at their disposal. And this is kind of like what you saw happen with Snapchat and Instagram, where uh, Facebook attempted to buy Snapchat and uh, Snapchat said, no, we're going to stay independent. And then Facebook said, all right, we're going to just plug in your formula into our user base with Instagram. And it's, you know, you're seeing the exact same thing happen in gaming right now. Yeah. And uh, I also think what's really interesting is there's a reason why Tencent probably was all right with 5%. And the biggest reason is PUBG by itself obviously is a huge money maker, but um, PUBG is incredibly popular in China, which is Tencent's biggest market, but it's not for sale on Wii game, which is Tencent's kind of software platform. It is only for sale on Steam. So Steam is not as popular in China right now, but has be, has gotten hundreds and thousands of, of people buying the game and playing the game, maybe even millions in China um, through Steam. So this obviously is a is is a nightmare scenario for for Tencent because they don't want to give people reasons to go to Steam as opposed to Wii game. And now by owning five percent of PUBG, I won't be surprised if uh, in a couple weeks or maybe even sooner you'll get PUBG available on Wii game and maybe maybe even uh, letting it be a a China exclusive from now on on Wii game. Absolutely. Yeah, and I think one of the statistics that speaks to your point is um, PUBG surpassed o Overwatch and PC Bangs, I think in China or, or Korea or both. So, you know, it's you know it's definitely getting a lot of momentum. Um, you know, the Bluehole right now is trying to access every distribution channel they can. I think it's coming as an Xbox exclusive. Um, for those of you that are kind of paying attention to the console scene, there's a huge... Um, there's somewhat of a battle right now between Microsoft and Sony, and there's a lot of uh, interesting scenarios that are playing out. Um, gosh, there was so PUBG is going to be Xbox exclusives, which is interesting. And then there was another game that was supposed to have cross functionality between Xbox and PlayStation, and the rumor has it that Xbox was okay with uh, you know um, you know having their console connect with Sony PlayStation, but PlayStation was not okay with that. So PlayStation right now is trying to build the walls. Um, I think that on a lot of these games like um, uh, that are available on both consoles, you're starting to see a shift to one console versus the other. So a great example of this is Call of Duty. You know, Call of Duty, from what I remember, the numbers were much higher on of a natural install based on Xbox, but. Uh, all the tournaments are played on PlayStation. And so it's like, you know, every tournament is brought to you by PlayStation. So those, I mean, Bluehole is, you know, entering a marketplace that, you know, is starved for video game content. And when you have a hit, you can, you know, make a ton of money by accessing the right distribution channels. Yeah. And uh, one thing with regards to the, the console wars between PlayStation and Xbox, it's um, good to mention two things. First of all, Xbox as an as if, if you're American, you think Xbox is a competitor to PlayStation. Obviously, they're competitors. Go outside of the U.S. and they're not comparable. Yeah. Like go to Europe, go to Asia, and play. And, and Xbox will probably sell in a year what PlayStation sells in like two three weeks. So as far as console sales, um, in the U.S. that's a different story. Um, 
And then secondly, let's not forget the Switch. Um, a lot of kind of a lot of uh, mobile developers are trying to go to the Switch to as their go-to platform. We saw it with um, with Tencent's uh, MMO title King of Glory, yeah. um, or however it's called right now, actually announcing that they're going to be on the Switch. I think more and more people will, f- more and more developers will follow. Um, and that might take away a lot of potential customers from PlayStation and Xbox. Yeah, and it's, it's interesting, especially, I think, what was it? Sony also announced uh, last week that they're not releasing, I think it's another view. Yeah, yeah. Because of the because of mobile competition. Yeah, so I think a lot of the people that you know were you know banking or kind of had strategies set up for the view, you know, they they might be pivoting Vita. to the switch. View? They're not another via. Via, yeah, view, via. But anyway, so you know, blue hole, great position. You know, now you're being bullied around a little bit by Tencent, but I'm sure that you'll make some extra money. Four point six billion dollars is a giant valuation. Um, but yeah. So I think, you know, while we're talking about valuations, um, let's hit upon Gfinity. Gfinity raised another $7 million. Um, 7 million pounds. 7 million pounds, I'm sorry. Um, and uh, I think you were hovering over the story a little bit more, so do you want to get into a little bit of greater depth with it? Yeah, um, so Gfinity, which is which has done extremely well this year, they're kind of a, a smaller version of ESLs, I would say. Um, they have been doing tremendous stuff in England. Um, they have worked with BBC on, on, a, on a lot of uh, tournaments. They are slowly expanding into Australia as well with some tournaments. And um, they, they just got seven million pounds, which is about $9.4 million. Um, and they're, look, they're looking for that money to do three things. So um, they want to develop their GFND Elite Series, which is kind of their, their big tournament platform. They want to further their international expansion, and um, they want to continue their technology platform, which is probably their IP, things that are unique to Gfinity. Um, so props to them. They've been doing incredible stuff in England. Um, like I said, they are going to Australia. They're going to other English-speaking countries to kind of expand. Um, I don't think they're necessarily um, nearly in the, in the realms of an ESL. But they are more of a, I, I would say they, they are, if, if they can get the, the crops that ESL doesn't get um, and they can build a solid business off of it, um, they, can, they can do very, very well for themselves. Yeah, I think Gfinity has demonstrated that they can create a lot of momentum for their brand and they have done so in the past six months. I am really curious to see what their own technology platform is because I really hope it's just not another tournament matchmaking platform. You know, there's such a glut of them right now. You know, there's very few people that can make them work. Um, I hope it's not gambling. There's a lot of gambling stuff going on right now. I think Unicorn, just, you know, they did an ICO last week. It's, you know, an esports gambling token. They raised $25 million from um, a couple of random investments. And it's just, I'm really curious to see what Gfinity will do. I think their tournaments are great. I think that they're probably a leaner version of ESL. Mm -hmm. I think that... You know, they, they've demonstrated their commitment to the space. Um, I just want to see if they can do something different or if they're just going to continue, you know, we're going to make a more efficient version of ESL. Well, now will be the time to prove. Yeah. Now absolutely. they have the funds to do something different. Yeah. Um, so hopefully in a couple months, um, we'll look back on this story and we'll see some really cool announcements coming up from, uh, from Gfinity. Yeah, absolutely. 
Um, and I guess for our final story, you know, MSG, uh, Madison Square Garden Company, they hired industry vet and ride alum Nick Allen to head their esports division. Um, Nick has been around the esports space for a long, long time. And I think he, what, one of the great things about Nick is that he's developed an amazing track record. Um, he first came onto my radar when he was developing the IPL tournament series for IGN. IGN was owned by Fox, I think, so he had an idea of, you know, how does a smaller company fit into a larger company, like in, in the entertainment space? How do tournaments make money? How, what are their costs? Um, from there, he was picked up by Riot, where he led, you know, their esports efforts for a couple a couple years. Um, so he understands, you know, Riot's motivations in the space. He guided them. Um, while he was there, you know, he f very famously fined CLG numerous times for a lot of different infractions. Um, from Riot, he went to Twitch. At Twitch, you know, he was, I think, the VP of esports. Um, so he understood, okay, how do platforms make their money in esports? What are their, um, you know, goals, incentives? What is their strategy supposed to be? And then, you know, now that CLG just picked him up, you know, with MSG, he gets to understand a little bit more about traditional sports and he brings to them the visibility from his three previous positions. Um, you know, most people in the space love Nick. Um, I have nothing but kind words for him. I think, you know, he's an incredible pickup. I think any company in the esports space would be lucky to have him. Um, uh, Mo, do you have any insight? Well, um, yeah, I, I've only had a, one experience with, with Nick and that was during uh, during Rocket League. Um, when we when I was working for a traditional sports team and we were looking into it and his name kept on popping up. Um, he was one of the kind of people that pushed really hard for the RLCS and for Twitch to, to start that together with Psionics and that's that's been a great success and 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 he has proven whether it's with IGN, whether it's with Riot, and now whether it's with Twitch and Psionics, and hopefully now with CLG and MSG, that he has a strategic vision of esports. Like he knows that he knows all the players, and he knows kind of where the trends are going to, and that's incredibly valuable for MSG. Um, he will also be the CEO of CLG, mm -hmm. uh, which is obviously a great pickup for CLG. Yeah. Um, I like this kind of. He will probably be. Um, and a strategic advisor to MSG yep. while being day to day with with CLG, I think this this is a great idea. Um, what is really interesting is I wonder how this will affect the LCS application, uh, possibly for for CLG and MSG. I don't think that CLG is. I mean, uh, don't count your eggs bef don't count your chickens before they hatch. But I think that CLG is going to be a shoe in for the LCS just because of their history. You know, it's. TSM versus CLG—that's like the Subway series of you know the LCS. Yeah, but I, I just think it—I just think it's gonna make it even better because now they can—they can show we have—we have someone we have a—we have a—we have someone who knows how to run this kind of we stuff. We hired your old boss. Exactly. Now and um, yeah, and I think the other one that's kind of interesting is that uh, you know Nick Nick is doing this transition in his career about uh, eight months after he had his first child. So on top of, you know, the children that he has at CLG, he has his own child yeah. that's keeping him awake at night. So, uh, you know, he's, uh, he's definitely powering through it. And then and finally, I also think um, from what I, I, I talked with some of the uh, NBA 2K managers, uh, uh, and they were all saying that they're incredibly happy to have Nick on board because um, I don't think he's going to be day-to-day -day with NBA 2K, but his hands are going to be involved in, in that as well with MSG. Yeah. And I think this is great news for the NBA as a whole. Um, having someone like, like him who was 
with Rocket League, literally worked on kind of a similar type of game yeah. and, and, and building a game with a big fan base to a successful esports title. Yeah, he did this three times. Yeah, I think I think I think this is a great great pickup for the NBA as well. Yeah, no, I mean it's uh it's interesting, yeah, uh, definitely a great hire. Um, and yeah, I think we touched upon this last story a little bit earlier, but and I will probably have to explore it later. But the unicorn coin offering, um, you know, I think it was Mark Cuban and somebody else who you know were the majority of the buyers. The uh, the I think the co-founder of Ethereum. I mean, there's so many co-founders of Ethereum. I just don't remember the name. It's like everybody runs around saying like they're the co-founder of Ethereum. Um, but you know. It's a lot of money to raise. Um, you know, I, Unicorn was previously struggling with, um, you know, finding a jurisdiction in which they'll operate. There were rumors that, you know, they were going to pivot to Australia. I don't think that I ever saw anybody actually move to Australia. Um, their white paper, you know, I glanced at it a couple of months ago. You know, it made, a, made some sense. There's a lot of heavy regulations coming into the ICO space, so I feel like there were pressure to execute before you know it hit the U.S. I think um, China had a bunch of regulations that just kicked in. There was another jurisdiction, international jurisdiction, that I think also had a bunch of um, you know regulations that kicked in. I I just hate that there's so much like not hate, but I'm apprehensive about the amount of interest ICOs and gambling have over esports. Esports is still has a very young user base and ICOs are a heavily unregulated industry. So it just feels like, you know, people are trying to find loopholes in, in the gambling space that they can execute in. Um, to give Raul credit, he has maintained an incredible level of um, professionalism and integrity while operating in the space. Um, you know, there was a, there's been a lot of temptations, whether it was with CSGO skins or otherwise, to, you know, operate in a very gray to dark area. And Rahul has uh, very famously stuck within the lines. So he has stuck within the lines. Um, I hope that, you know, this war chest that he has developed uh, for esports and unicorn will be used for other things other than gambling. And I think there's plenty of opportunities and I think he has plenty of insight into the space. And, you know, with his experience at Microsoft, at Voodoo PC, um, you know, I, I hope that, you know, he will stumble over something that, you know, will push this industry forward. Yeah, um, I don't have too much to say about it, primarily because I'm happy with a little bit of Ethereum and I don't know too much about ICOs and that's definitely not my specialty. Um, but once again, just to echo some of your sentiments, I am very hesitant when I read ICOs, I think they have been used as a money grab by previous esports companies before. Um, I doubt that that's the case with Unicorn. I think it is it is meant so that they have a war chest to expand their company and that they're actually going to do that. I don't think an investor like Mark Cuban would be happy with just the oh we made twenty five million dollars. Um, we can you know we will lay low for a while. We don't we don't need to take care. Of, we don't need to do any of this uh, Unicorn stuff now. That's not the way Mark rolls. That's not definitely not the way Raul rolls. So um, I am excited to see where they will end up. Definitely. Um, well, I think that wraps up all the stories that we wanted to cover. Um, and uh, yeah, Mo, any closing thoughts? Um, no, uh, don't forget to, we're now available on iTunes. Uh, we're available on Stitcher for Android users, um, available on Block Talk Radio. 
And as always, we're available on YouTube. Yep, and make sure to follow us on Twitter. You guys can follow me at Joker Can't Spell. Uh, there's no Ian Joker. Joker can't spell. Get the joke. And uh, Mo, where can people find you? You can follow me. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at M R E I S E N M A N. Cool. Thank you guys for tuning in.